welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I'm Steve Ryder at Culebra Cigar Company in Ontario, California. Thank you, Matthew McDavid, for letting us hole up here in the boardroom. And I am with a Holy Smoke favorite, Kyle Mann, Editor-in-Chief at the Babylon Bee. Kyle, thanks for being on, man. Yeah, thanks for meeting up for cigars and chatting. <laughs> what, what's funny is there was an episode of the Babylon Bee podcast where I heard Ethan mention his love of cigars. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I posted it out to the group. I said, who knows the guys at the Bee? And there were a couple guys that introduced me to you. Mm-hmm. But because I didn't hear you mention anything about cigars, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to talk to Ethan and... And, 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 then, and then Ethan gets here and he's like, yeah, Kyle loves cigars too. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, we Dang could have it, I would have gotten you both on. He's, uh, I'm more casual. You know, if I have a couple cigars, I start to feel a little shaky. If Ethan doesn't have a couple cigars, <laughs> he starts to feel a little shaky. So <laughs> I'm definitely, like, I love the hanging out, chatting with people. Yeah. And it just slows you down a little bit, you know. But he's definitely more of the, like, like if I go to his house, he's like, you want a cigar? He's got a whole collection. He's got the room, you know. I, I'm more of a once-in-a-while guy, but he's yeah. trying to rope me in, you know. So he's a bad influence. That's <laughs> what it is. All right. So first question, what you smoking? I've got a brick house Maduro here. I like these because they're, like, under 10 bucks. and Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially with the California tobacco taxes that oh, jack man. up the prices here. Yeah, I guess in the I state. guess I'm, I'm speaking in a California context. It's probably five bucks in other states, but yeah, yeah, Brickhouse is good. I, I uh, like I said, you know, I'm not super mm-hmm. adjusted to see. I've been smoking them for years, but just in a once in a while, on a once in a while basis. So you know that giant stick that you have over there, you know, I'd, I'd be throwing up by the end of the. <laughs> podcast here and the giant stick that he is referring to is a cao flathead 770 which is the big one and uh yeah this is a commitment for a conversation (laughs) see i'm planning on getting out of here in 15 minutes that's why i have this one (laughs) so you're a california kid yeah born and raised here yeah i grew up in chino okay which is just yeah over the freeway there and uh it's a little farm town, kind of, but it's, it was blowing up into a suburb, and, you know, now it's, now it's a pretty big suburb of L.A. Yeah. I, uh, I grew up there. I went to school at the Masters University up in Santa Clarita, and then I went down to, uh, I moved down to San Diego for a few years and moved back up here, so I'm back. <laughs> so what sort of work did you do after school? It was kind of crazy. I, uh, I went to school for two years, and then I went into the construction industry. And uh, I was doing sales for a waterworks distributor. Yeah. So we sold pipe valves and fittings to utilities and um, underground contractors. Yeah. So all the water, all the water main and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was crazy, high stress, very uh, fast paced. Yeah. So I, I can was, imagine with all the construction that's been going on here in Southern California. Yeah. For, well, I got lucky when I joined because they basically stopped hiring after me because that's right when the economy died. Oh, really? And, uh, How old are you? I'm 32. Okay. Yeah. So it was 2007. Yeah. I got hired and then got married a month later, and uh, <laughs> and it was kind of great. I kind of worked my way up. I was doing. I was driving, delivering stuff. Then I was managing the warehouse, and then I was 
entering orders, and then eventually I was the regional sales manager for San Diego, or one of the regional sales managers down there. That's so, actually really fortunate to, you yeah. know, to get in right then, <laughs> right and, then. And, keep, and have a job. Just I would have been, I mean, if they started layoffs, I would have been the first to go, I mean, because I was, yeah, you know. Last in. But the company, you know, was run by Mormons, and... Uh, they were very people focused, so they wanted to keep everybody. Yeah. So they, they, you know, they would cut the pay of the CEOs and the, the yeah. executive board before they started cutting people, which was great. You know, wow. <laughs> it was really well managed business. You know, that's incredible. Um, just a little family owned thing. And then when the economy started to pick up, it got that much crazier, just in terms of time commitment. And and uh, I started writing for the B in 2016 part time, go into the office, type up articles. And then start working, you know, that was kind of, yeah. <laughs> that's what I did for a year or two. So. so let's go back. What kind of home did you grow up in? In Chino. <laughs> I grew up in a Christian home and uh, I have three siblings and uh, it, was, it was a fun time. You know, my parents are great and so just a really good upbringing. This is one of those boring testimonies where, you know, I, I didn't, my parents weren't in prison or anything, so it's not very fun. <laughs> Not very spicy, but uh, no, it was really good. I a lot of the Babylon, what the Babylon Bee does is make fun of, you know, mega churches and American Christian Christianity, culture. Christian culture, and that was all stuff I experienced growing up. We went to a big mega church out here, and I'm sure it's not big by today's standards, but it was a couple thousand people on a Sunday, and yeah, and so I kind of was immersed in that for 20 years, you know, and uh, same church that whole time, and. Uh, what kind of church was it? It was it's Pomona First Baptist. Okay. Which is SBC. I think now it's called Purpose Church or something, but it's uh, it, no, it wasn't SBC. It was one of the more mainline Baptists, and they okay. ended up breaking away from the mainline because of the uh, LGBT issues. Yeah. It was one of those that I think they're called like I'm going to mess it up, but Transform. They changed the denomination name to like Transform or something like that, and it yeah. was they were the ones who were siding with kind of a biblical view of marriage so they broke away which was good you know that's good on their part so pretty good teaching for the most part but definitely that ecclesiology where it was very you know big church and all the crazy stuff that goes along with that so yeah yeah so that's kind of where my experience was so when i started writing those kinds of articles for the babylon v it was incredible to me that i wasn't writing these going like it wasn't like calculated like this is a joke that everybody's going to get you know everybody knows it was just for me like you know like but then it would take off and you would see that all these people across the all these american christians had the same experience yeah. that i did you know yeah. and i didn't even know this was really a phenomenon any siblings yeah i have three and uh i have an older brother and i have two younger sisters and they're all they're all local so still so wow. which is <laughs> kind of crazy all of us being adults now and yeah. having families and being local you married kids mm -hmm. yeah i've got three boys nice yeah i got married in 2007 and uh yeah february 2007 so i'm almost so uh, you finish school ago. and then you get married and you get a job all like pretty much within yeah it was like a month yeah holy cow like within like a month yeah <laughs> which is crazy yeah that's nuts so how old are your boys now they're uh yeah, don't ask me that question on the spot. Uh, three, three, nine, and eleven. Okay. Yeah, the problem is that they all turn, they're all their birthdays around the same time, and so right. If you ask me that question right then, I'm trying to calculate like <laughs> which one has which one has already had their birthday, yeah. and which one hasn't yet. 
But I think right now we're good. Three nine and eleven. So three boys. We're probably done. I mean, that's yeah. Three boys is a a handful. So. (laughs) I grew up as the oldest of three boys, and so it's, and I've got two sons, and so it's a culture and that I'm quite familiar with. Yeah. So in 2016, you're working for this construction company. How do you find out about the bee, and how do how do you get your foot in the door there? Adam Ford was. Uh, had founded the Babylon Bee in March 2016. And uh, it was an idea that was bugging him for a long time. This is something I need to do, you know. Yeah. And it was kind of in the back of his head all the time. Every time he read an Onion article, you know, it was like, this is this format is so effective at communicating something about what you believe. But it's communicating something that's obvi- often antithetical to what we believe. He's like, so I wish there was somebody that was doing that on our side. And he always, there was some joke they did about one of the Supreme Court, just, one of the conservative Supreme Court justices, and I forget exactly what it was. And he always cites that one and says, I, I read that and I said, man, I wish I agreed with these people because this is very clever, you know. Yeah. And I still feel that way when I read Onion articles, right? Because it was something I disagree with because it's like, oh, that's funny. You're wrong, but that's funny, you know, that's very funny. And it really disarms people, you know. Totally. And so he wanted something like that on our side. Like, what if yeah. we had something that could really impact culture in a way, you know? And uh, he didn't really think it was going to take off. Like, how many of these things that people do? Oh, this is the Christian version of... Uh, oh, yeah. It's always crappy. You know, it's always yeah. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I graduated high school in 92, and that's when Christian metal really started to kind of... Some good bands really started to kind of come on board, but there were still some just some garbage stuff and I remember reading these magazines this is this is a Christian version of Soundgarden and this is a Christian version of Nirvana and they sounded nothing like Soundgarden and Nirvana it's like the safe tame computer generated version my junior high group growing up they had a big chart like a big wall poster and it was like if you like you know on the left side they had the secular bands on the right side they had the (laughs) if you like these guys try listening to Audio adrenaline, you know, or whatever. And then uh, I think our junior high pastor even did a promotional thing where bring in your secular CDs and you can trade them for Christian CDs. Oh, you know? dear Lord. Which is just, that's, that was like, <laughs> at the time I was all on board with it, right? Like, oh, totally, this, yeah. I, I, yeah. Like, I want to be a good Christian and I want to, you know, I want to be a good member of this church and do the right thing. And But it created such a culture. It was almost a legalism thing at that point, right? Totally. Oh, you're listening to secular music? Obviously, there's some bad stuff out there in secular land, but, you know, just because we're trying to avoid sinfulness doesn't necessarily mean we have to listen to bad music, you know? Yeah. yeah. So Adam, so the bees just starts to really fill fill this void. Yeah, he, he launched it with 17 articles, I think. Yeah. Already written. And was kind of sprinkling those throughout the week. And then he posted a thing on Facebook. He already wrote a webcomic, so I was following him. And uh, he posted a, a call for authors, you know. And he didn't really know. I mean, he didn't think it was going to... Overnight, it became his main job. You know, the comic took a backseat because it was so popular. Well, I remember it just seemed to come out of nowhere. I yeah. think it was probably April, maybe May at the latest when I, in 2016 when I found out about it. For me, I was like, and I mentioned this on, on my interview with Ethan, I was like, yes, because I grew up just north of Madison, Wisconsin, 
which if you know anything about the history of the onion, Madison is where the onion was founded in the late, I think like 87, 88 was, was when the onion was founded. And I remember stumbling onto it in May of 1992, seeing this newspaper at one of the shops on State Street and just looking at the headline and just going, oh my gosh, I need to read this article because it was so outlandish. I mean, I remember that the Onion paper when it said in big, huge letters, Emperor of Saturn to enslave us all. (laughs) And it was so good. Every time I went down to Madison and when I lived in Madison, I would make sure to get my Onion for that week. And then when they went on the web, it was beautiful because it was something that I could follow when I moved to Colorado in 97. Right. And I watched The Onion be super funny. And then all of a sudden, they started being less and less funny to the point where they're just mean at times. And for me, it was heartbreaking because this was a piece of my hometown where I grew up that I was like, you know, wherever you grow up, you usually have some stuff that you're like super proud of because yeah. it's like it's the home stuff. Right, you know, right, like right. in Wisconsin, we got cheese curds and the Packers and whatever else. And people who've grown up in Wisconsin, like J.J. Watt, who go off into the NFL and have great careers, you're extra proud of that. Right. And so for me, it was like the onion. Yes. But then right around it was 2012 to 2016, especially when Trump came around, that they just stopped being funny. And all of a sudden, you guys come out of nowhere, and it's like, yes! And you have a very similar worldview to where I came from, and the same Christian culture. And so, I freaking loved it. Yeah, it really connected, I think. It really filled a void where, especially because it was during the 2016 election, that Christians didn't know what to think about Trump, you know. And here comes this Christian website that's willing to make jokes about Trump. But it's also, we're also willing to eviscerate the left, you know, and it was just like, it really connected, you know, with that, and uh, with that, all the angst that people were feeling about the election. I think it, I hope that it really helped people to kind of calm down a little bit, you know, because that was, there was all this worry, like, Hillary Clinton's going to destroy us all, you know, or Trump is whatever, you know, I don't know, people thought he was the Antichrist, people thought Hillary Clinton was the Antichrist, you know. So whatever side you were on, Christians felt so much worry about that yeah. election. So we kind of acted as a lightning rod for a lot of that. So early on, fear. Adam kind of throws it out there, hey, I need writers. <clears throat> yeah, and it blew up. Like, he got thousands of submissions, you know, and, and he wasn't expecting <laughs> to get thousands of submissions. So the, this was day one, you know, and yeah. I, I sent in an article that was the... Uh, uh, Holy Spirit unable to move through congregation as fog machine breaks. You know, so that was your first. That one. That was my first one. I sent it in. I was like, oh, because I, I, I see that one pop up occasionally, yeah. kind of. Yeah, we'll repost it every year yeah. or whatever. But and that was the first big viral. He posted it the second day the site went up, and it was the first big viral like. And that's when Adam knew like this is going to be something, you know. So he asked me to submit more, and I started sending in more. And uh, within a couple of months, he kind of named me the head writer, which didn't really mean anything other than I sent in more articles than anybody else. But yeah. <laughs> so I, it was just something that was so fun, you know, for me, especially because I was I had such a high stress job, you know, working 50, 60 hours a week and being able to go on the side. And, you know, as you're working, you're thinking of stuff and, you, you know, you snap your fingers and go, <laughs> that's it. You know, and you they'll text Adam an idea. Hey, we got to do something on this and we got to do something on that. And. We worked really well together because he was—he acted kind of as the filter, you know, and I acted kind of as as the engine between behind a lot of the ideas. And then he would 
filter out my bad ideas from my good ideas. And every good writer has an editor like that, you know. Yeah. That's my main yeah. struggle right now is that I don't have a filter because I'm the... I write a lot of the content still, but I'm the editor. <laughs> so I have to put on two different hats and go, you know. Is How hard is that for you to pull back from something that you just poured into and be like, eh, that doesn't really cut it? It depends on what, I think the hardest thing is figuring out, is this funny or is this just funny to me? <laughs> and sometimes if it's just funny to me, that's okay. Like, I think it's all right. I think humor is better if you have a uniqueness to it, you know. Yeah. If your site's confident enough to go, hey, we know nobody's going to like this, but here it is, you know, and you're willing to lay it out there. I think I'm pretty good at seeing, if, knowing at least if something's going to be really controversial and saying, eh, there's too much controversy for this to be worth it to make the point it's trying to make, you know, yeah. and then I'll be able to pull back and say, oh, it's a funny idea, but we can't do that. So, so anyway, I was writing for Adam for a while, and then um, a couple years later, he sold the site. And I ended up uh, taking over as the editor. So, so what precipitated him selling the site? Yeah, it was kind of crazy because you think the super successful site, and you talk to anybody, you say, what's your dream job? It's like, you know, running a satire site. That sounds amazing. You know? <laughs> yeah. For Adam, the stress became not worth it because we were dealing with a lot of suppression issues on like Facebook and other social networks. And with Snopes fact-checking us all the time, and that feeding into Facebook suppressing us, um, he grew really worried about that, about deplatforming, and he wanted. Well, I guess right around that time, Milo was getting deplatformed, and Alex Jones was really getting pushed. Yeah, it was back probably and... around that time. Maybe it was maybe a little before Alex Jones, but it, you know, yeah, that was a conversation that was it's still going on. But that was a conversation that was going on. And we actually got messages saying we would be the platform because Snopes fact-checked our jokes and said you're fake news, you know. So that, that was one of his main issues that he was always worried about is big tech censoring. Yeah. And so on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, him getting up every morning and saying, oh, well, you know, are we going to have a job today or, you know, is the site going to be down? And the main thing was that he didn't have the resources to fight it, you know. And so he wanted to bring me on as the editor for a long time or as, at least as a head writer, but he didn't want me to put my livelihood in that basket and then all of a sudden have it cut off, you know. And we didn't have any other sources of income. It was, uh, the Babylon Bee didn't have any other sources of revenue. It was all Google ads. Yeah. So if you get cut off from, 80% you know, of traffic was from Facebook, you know. So if you get cut off from Facebook or Google ads cuts you off, you're done. You know, you don't have any revenue. <laughs> You know, so we really needed someone with a business background who could turn it into something. Because as successful as it was, I mean, really, the site paid for Adam to do it, to run it as a full-time job. It paid for me to do some part-time writing and not much else. You know, mm. that was, mm. it really is a struggle to make a web property profitable, even when, they're, even when they're really popular. So Seth Dillon is a Christian entrepreneur, and he bought the site in uh, April of 2018. And... Um, he bought the site and he brought a lot of, he owns multiple web properties. So he had a really good understanding of, here's how we're gonna make this profitable, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so he was able to hire me and he's just been a great resource for us, you know? Rebuilt the site from the ground up, all of that stuff. It was kind of interesting from a, you know, from a business perspective that you can have a property that's so popular, but if you don't have the business 
background, it's like, how are you going to actually make money off this thing? You know, people can see your, hey, this Facebook post from the Babylon Bee got 50,000 shares. You know, that's awesome. But, you know, how are you going to monetize that? How are you going to yeah. turn that into something that you can live off, you know? So what were the kinds of steps that Seth brought in to really help to kind of turn that corner so that way you could be hired full time and well, at first, Ethan could be hired full time? I mean, at first, nothing changed. You know, it was just I was running it instead of Adam. And we took almost a good year of just running it how it was. We tried a few different small things. We tried doing some sponsoring on Facebook and doing the ads and uh, buying some, buying more followers, sponsoring the page to get more followers on Facebook. And it doesn't make it more profitable. You know, the way that Facebook works, they decide how many people are going to see your posts. It really doesn't matter how big your audience is, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, past a certain point. So about a year in, he launched a subscription service where people can sign up and to support us. And that's the main pitch is support comedy that you like and <laughs> you know but there's some subscriber benefits and stuff but that's the main pitch that we put out there and that's been the biggest thing I think that Seth has done because it's enabled us to bring Ethan on full time we just brought on another uh, guy who's producing our podcast and, and assisting us with writing and so uh, that has been the biggest thing and you know that may be the way that a lot of websites have to go is reader support you know because uh, you can't really count on Facebook or Google to <laughs> support a site like ours well Holy smokers, full disclosure, I am a Babylon Bee subscriber. Kyle, why don't you talk about some of the benefits of being a subscriber besides the kick-ass mug that I got (laughs) that says fake news you can trust? (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's a few different levels, but basically uh, the number one thing is that everybody gets free, an ad-free experience on our site, so no ads, and they get our full-length podcasts. So we were able to launch a podcast with the subscriber revenue that we started up and now you know uh, there's a free version and then there's a paid version where you get you know I don't know 50% more content or double the content depending on the episode so the ad free podcasts um, ad free full length podcasts, ad free experience at certain levels people can pitch in to uh, throw ideas at us in terms of pitching headlines which is a fun there's a fun little private forum that people throw headlines around on and uh, that's almost an experience in itself, you know, it, it becomes a thing where everybody's, we're trying to build a little community in there, you know, and that's yeah. something we may work on in the coming years, yeah. doing more general discussion, and I, in all the years I've been on the internet, the very best forum experiences for me have been like a paid forum, because everybody who's participating is throwing in, you know, 10 or 15 bucks a month to be there, and nobody's going to be a real jerk, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that has been fun to kind of have that little gate where you really want to be involved in this, you know. And that's been fun. So that's one of the things. Uh, and we send people a gift depending on the level, like there's a decal or a mug or a signed book. and So those are the main benefits. But, yeah, really we, we, try, to, we try to mostly pitch it as, as people supporting because that, that seems to resonate with a lot of people. Like I, I support this and I don't want Facebook to kill it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What kind of sense of humor did you have growing up? Were you the class clown? Were you? I was voted class clown in high school, but I don't really know. I don't really remember being. I wasn't like the Bart Simpson of the class or anything, you know. I, I really wasn't. But I guess people thought I was funny. I don't know. But I uh, loved very quirky, off the wall, dry humor, you know. And as I grew up and went into high school and stuff, I watched. Um, the biggest impact on me was Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and uh, this is Spinal Tap. Those yeah. two movies, for me, it changed what comedy could be. Because up to that point, you know, we had, 
as a family, we'd gather around and watch, you know, Home Improvement or Full House, and it was just this very canned, like, yeah. you know, joke set, you know, set up joke, set up joke, you know, set up punchline, set up punchline. So to have this thing that was like, we're going to present a joke to you, but we're not going to wink at you and signal that it's a joke. You know, it's just there, and we're just going to throw it out there. You know, because that's how all those mockumentaries are. Yeah. Monty Python's very dry like that. You know, there's no laugh track on the movie. And uh, I think that, for me... And then, of course, obviously, I eventually encountered The Onion and stuff online. And that was that, that same brand of just dry uh, humor. And that's really what drives a lot of the humor on the beat. It's something that if you and I are sitting there and we're talking about worship leaders in church, and I'm like, yeah, isn't it funny how worship leaders do this? You know, it's like you might chuckle, but to have like a news outlet that, that as though there's a news reporter sitting in your church, you know, reporting on it, that in itself is funny to me. Like, why would there be a reporter in this situation? <laughs> and that alone just is so much humor value to me, no matter how dumb the joke is. Like, yeah. just the fact, like, like, why is there someone sitting here reporting on this? And uh, and that's what those mockumentaries did, is there's a there's a camera in this room why are they filming this you know this is silly you know and obviously like the office ran with that and parks and recreation ran with that but yeah so those are definitely the the inspiration for me let me ask you one of the things that i have noticed especially with with the really classic funny movies like you mentioned holy grail i showed it a few years ago to my boys and they were geez i don't know probably 13 and 11 at the time my 13-year-old thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And that's probably about the time that I first saw Holy Grail, was probably around 13, 14. Watching it with them, there were jokes that I didn't get in my teens, and I didn't get in my 20s. And heck, I didn't even get it probably the one or two times <laughs> I, I watched it in my 30s. But in my 40s, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so good. Have, have, did you ever experience that with that movie? Uh, well, so I did the same thing. I showed my nine and eleven year old the movie, and there's definitely th- wait. I just there was some joke that I just got, and I can't remember what it was. And I was, which joke was it? I don't, there was some joke in, in Holy Grail, and I thought about. it. I was like, oh, that's what they're talking about. And I didn't get it until now, you know. And I hadn't seen the movie in a few years, but yeah, my kids thought it was hilarious. Their favorite was the Black Knight. The Black Knight and the Rabbit. Or, or, the ra- and the Rabbit. Those two scenes are just, they're timeless. I mean, you know, the, <laughs> the absurdity of this, you know, they didn't care for is the political, uh, the political peasants, the constitutional peasants, they didn't like them at all. I didn't like that growing up either. But now that is probably one of the absolute funniest bits of that entire <laughs> movie to me now. Well, the idea, because you have to have a little bit of historical knowledge, right, to go. Yeah, exactly. Nobody was thinking political thoughts at this time they were trying to survive the violence inherent in the system you know and then this guy yeah the society wasn't <laughs> prosperous enough for anyone to sit around and have political debates it was just you know I, I get, you just gotta make food your food from a, yeah and make and, your clothes and whatever else well and there's like a there's an ongoing joke that it's not a punchline but the, the king is going around and he can't get anything done nobody's listening to him and that's just very very <laughs> funny and the kids don't get that that that's funny that a king can't get anything done you know and he's just going around and with the first scene, he goes up and he's, you know, he's talking to the the swallow, the, yeah. the two guys up on the on the wall talking about the swallow and the coconuts and yeah, 
you know, he, he's just like, this king expects everybody to do everything, and they're just arguing with him about the coconuts. And then he goes on, and the constitutional peasants argue with him. And then he goes to the Black Knight, and uh, they won't let him pass over this little bridge. And he could just go around, you know, but he doesn't. He stands there and argues with this. <laughs> it's so funny. It's just so good. Oh, the best punchline, in the, or the best bit in that Black Knight scene is when, uh, is when <laughs> my kids died at, was when uh, he's fighting the Green Knight, and all of a sudden... Uh, He's, they're like doing a sword fight, and then it just cuts over, and he's charging in with an axe. Yeah, it's like where did that axe come from? Like the cut is so, it, like where did he get that? <laughs> and my kids died. Like where did he get the axe? And so we had to <laughs> we had to watch that scene three or four times in a row. So what are the plans for the bee? What do you guys want to do? Where do you guys want to take it? Well, we have a meeting about that tomorrow, so I'll tell you after that. But we've got a lot of ideas. You know, our, we'd love to expand into video content. That would be awesome. We have a lot of ideas for video content, scripts written for video content, but it's a different space, you know. And uh, most video content now is, it's not our brand of humor, you know. It's, yeah, like I said before, it's that winking at the camera. Mm -hmm. You know, all Christian comedy is like that, like, isn't this funny? This is a joke, you know, you get it? This is a joke about worship leaders, you know. Yeah. Do you, do you yeah. get it? You know, and it, it's very obvious that it's parody. Where our site gets all of its humor from um, from the dryness, you know, or most of its humor from the dryness. So we have to find a way to do that. And one thing we notice is that the Onion is like they've backed off of video content a lot. So it may not be profitable to do like that dry kind of news satire. I don't know if people consume that as readily on the internet so it's hard to figure out what direction to go we have some ideas that work yeah the other weird thing about video content is like with the onion you know they're doing like news broadcasts yeah in video format but nobody watches news broadcasts anymore like at least not on the level that they used to mm -hmm. so you're parodying this form of entertainment that doesn't exist anymore and you know it's weird so we're trying to what we basically want to do is look at what video content is like on the internet now and what do people watch and then we'll make our B version of that, you know. So the main thing that people do is like those now this videos, you know, 60 seconds of this little news briefing or, you know, with, with the captions coming up on it and or something that's like a super inspiring, you know, whatever somebody did that's super inspiring. You know, so that's stuff that we can probably make a good parody of that's that doesn't talk down to you and say, hey, this is a joke, you know, but but it just presents itself very straight. So that's the kind of video content we're looking at, stuff that makes sense for the bee. Uh, we're also working on a best of book, which is uh, we haven't really officially announced yet, but Ethan has been spending most of his time, he's doing that right now actually, <laughs> Photoshopping, uh, he's redoing all of our old Photoshops. Yeah. Because he's got Photoshop yeah. skills and me and Adam yeah. didn't, and, <laughs> and he's putting them in a higher resolution. So. We're hoping that it'll be a lot of fun for people to look back at the first few years of the, of the Babylon Bee, you know, from fresh eyes. And we're going to put a lot of fresh new content in there, too. Beautiful big book. We're trying to make it look like a Bible, like this leather. <laughs> we're trying to get the leather, the fake leather cover with the bookmark and, the, you know, the gold embossing on, on the cover. So the best of the Babylon Bee. So that'll probably come out next year. Uh, we're going to work on, you know, how to promote that and stuff. You having fun? Having a lot of fun. It's interesting though because no matter what you're doing in life, you'll manage to find the negativity and the stress and the anxiety about it. You know, it's like I can sit there and go, 
oh man, I haven't thought of a funny joke today. You know, this is this is horrible. You know, why did I ever quit my construction job? You know, (laughs) that's the kind of stuff that that goes through your head, and you're like, I don't know. You always have the imposter syndrome of like, I'm not any. The Onion has a funny article that's like, report uh, today's the day they all find out you're a fraud. You know, and I, I have the bookmarked because I always, I love that article. You know, it's that idea of imposter syndrome that any day they're going to figure out. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just a construction guy that started writing jokes just because, you know. <laughs> so you always manage to find that negativity. And I think the key really is to back away and gain some perspective and be like, hey, I'm writing jokes on the Internet for a living. That's pretty dang cool, you know, <laughs> especially compared to how stressed out I used to be. So, You ever struggle with the opposite and getting too full of yourself? And what do you have to kind of help keep you? No, I don't. No, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the biggest struggle is like, I've talked about this with people and, you know, trying to keep the perspective and keep me in, keep me having a healthy view of what it is I do and who I am in this piece. Because it's easy to look at myself and say, oh, I'm writing... You know, I wrote 20 articles this week, and they did this well, you know. Yeah. And instead of saying, like, what, instead of looking at the impacts of what we're doing and not necessarily who was involved. Um, so, like, I have to check myself and say, it's not about me. It's about, it is just a, I mean, this is really just a human thing. But yeah. I would love the Babylon Bee to be thriving 50 years from now, you know, and not be, and that's the genius of the Babylon Bee is that it's not a person. It's not about me. It doesn't matter who I am. You know, if I it wasn't die, until the podcast that I found out that, right. hey, there are these guys, Ethan and Kyle, that are... Right. And even that we were really skeptical of doing because Christian celebrity is like a, a horrible thing, you know. And so we still don't really want it to be Kyle and Ethan. You know, we, we do that for the podcast, but, you know, it's really Ethan and I should be able to move on or, you know, yeah. or whatever. Or Ethan yeah. will die of cancer from all the cigars he smokes. <laughs> and, and then... It, you know, hopefully we've built up enough good writers and enough support for the bee that that would continue on beyond us, you know. Yeah. You see these Christian celebrities who fall into sin and fall away and, you know, just go off into crazy land or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, like, I'm not immune from that temptation or that desire, you know, or that pitfall, right? So we want it to be where, let's say, one of us stumbles or one of us leaves the faith or something crazy. Like, the Babylon Bee can continue beyond that because... I can't think of a Christian property that's been created that doesn't depend on, like, people, you know, that doesn't depend on, like, this celebrity or this guy. And we're so obsessed with that in Christian culture, mm-hmm. you know, so it's nice to see that uh, the Babylon Bee is not us, you know, and we don't want... So that's the biggest thing for pride is that, for me, is to say, I'm the Babylon Bee guy, you know, and yeah. it's like not... I don't know, I, I think the Babylon Bee goes way beyond me, and it's not me, you know. I, I write a lot of the stuff, but, you know, hopefully we're creating a brand that people can latch onto and not, and beyond just me and Ethan. Is there anything, looking back at some of your older articles that you're like, you look back and you're like, you almost cringe because you're like, ooh, I think I crossed the line and being mean with that. Well, the first example, <laughs> the first example of that was, again, we didn't really get, like you said, you discovered the B in May 2016. 
when people started to discover it, they started to feel like it had been around for a long time. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. It's, it's, I was surprised to find out how new it was when I found out about it because I clicked like and I started following and I go through the website and look at old articles and I'm like, oh, this is relatively new. Yeah, so the weird danger in that situation was we didn't really know how much of an impact we were having and how big the reach was yeah. and how much people already thought of this as like a core Christian page and institution and it's like... Yeah. We're just guys writing what we wanted to write or whatever, and uh, we didn't really get the broadness of it already, you know. And so I think it was in May we we did that article about uh, Jan Crouch when she died. It was the day she died, you know. She was a prosperity gospel, you know. Obviously, I think her theology was evil and dangerous, and so we wrote an article the day she died, and it wasn't really about her. It was about we said all the other prosperity gospel preachers are, were puzzled, you know. How could someone die? When you know you can just claim health for yourself, yeah. you can just claim healing for yourself. So we tried to focus this on other people, but we got it was like immediate backlash. We were on Fox News the next day, like Christian site, you know, makes fun of preacher who died. You know, it's like oh my gosh. So we didn't get like there are lines. I mean, we knew there were lines, obviously, but we didn't get that it's not a guy just mouthing off on Twitter. It's like people saw this as a. You know, they already had claimed it as their own, as one of their own. You know, this I didn't is a realize Christian you guys thing. were on Fox News about that. Yeah, it was like Adam texted me the next morning, "Hey, we're on Fox News," and I'm like, "We we left the article up. We didn't, you know, apologize or because I don't know that anything was necessarily wrong with it, other than there could have been more uh, circumspection, like up front and saying, "Is this the right time? For is this, this the right time?" and are more people going to be offended and hurt than are going to actually learn something from this? Because we're trying to communicate truth. We're trying to say, if you really believe that God, you can just claim healing from God at any time, then why do people die? You know, why do people get sick? You know, it's an extreme inconsistency in that philosophy. You look at someone like uh, Bill Johnson with Bethel that's got... He wears glasses, you know, and tells people to claim healing. And you can claim healing anytime, and you're like, well, then why are you wearing glasses? You know, the, the, there's inconsistencies like this throughout the prosperity gospel movement, you know. And so we think it's a very important message, and we think we communicated it well. The only problem was it's like, hey, there's actually real people involved in this. There's a family that's grieving over this woman who just died. There's a lot of people who liked her that were grieving. And guess what? Nobody's mind was going to be changed by this satire article. Right, because nobody was actually going to think deeper about it because they were too offended. Mm-hmm. So it's like how. So now when we have to deal with stuff like that, it's yeah. more like, how do you communicate that without stepping on those toes? You know, so that if the outrage is louder than the point you're making, then it's not worth it. Ooh, that's wise. That's really wise. No, I don't. No, it's not wise. <laughs> don't tell me that. It's the, the, the pride. Now the pride is coming, and no, I'm just kidding. No, it's a good point for people to realize that when we're talking with people, when we're conversing with people, when we're having either in-person conversations or social media conversations, yeah. to try to not step, to be wary and aware of those areas in someone's life that they may be a little more sensitive to where if you step on their toe, they're not going to hear everything else you say. All they're going to be focused on is this thing that you said that, triggered yeah if you will yeah that's the whole triggered culture like i triggered you haha you know it's like well you didn't convince anybody you didn't change anybody's mind you know 
<laughs> people will, will always cite like Jesus or the prophets. Like, look, they were very harsh, you know, and they used satire and they used humor. And I agree with that. But Jesus was also very wise about when he did it. And who he did, and it, who too. He did it too. I mean, all the times that he rebuked were either demons, the religious leaders, or his disciples. Mm -hmm. He never rebuked the sinner that came to him that was, you know, pouring out the oil on his head and feet or, you know, the, the woman with the blood issue that just grabbed a hold of his garment just to get that healing. Well, when we look at Jesus being very careful, knowing that he's going to be crucified in three years, right? And being very careful at the outrage that he generates. He knows he's going to generate outrage, but he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to only inject this at certain times, you know, and almost planning the last week of his life, like, yeah, being very careful, and, and and we see he retreats, he runs or, away, yeah, and slips or, yeah. through or, the crowd, or, or generates the outrage to the religious leaders, and then just slips away. Yeah, doesn't keep it going, doesn't keep right. poking the bear to the point where the bear he just agitates the bear a little bit and walks away. Right. I mean, this might be tangential, but we we see Jesus as, you know, floating through life, and he's got this appointment with the cross, and he just yeah, it's coming up. You know, whenever the Holy Spirit does it, that you know, that whenever God orchestrates it, the cross is going to come and. But he was actually like very aware of the cross, and he knew, I'm not going to get caught by this massive crowd, this massive mob, you know, <laughs> too soon. Yeah. I know when it has to be, and I'm building up to that point, you know, because he was a man. He was 100% man as well as 100% God, you know, so I think he was very cautious about how he approached things. So we try, we try to follow that model, I think. Like, yeah. you take your shots, but you pick them very carefully, you know. So how has your faith matured since you've been writing for the B. Like I once heard someone say, if, if you're not growing, you're just staying the same. And that's really not the whole point of life. It's been a weird time for me just because I won't go into all the details, but I was more involved in my church down in San Diego. I moved up here for uh, to write for the Babylon B basically. It's kind of a long story, but I moved up back home, you know, so that we could kind of simplify, and I was serving kind of as a co-pastor down in San Diego, yeah. and so I moved up here and said, I'm going to do B full-time, that's what I'm going to do, and it's been a little struggle for us to get plugged into a church, you know, and so because of that, it's been hard for us. It's not that my spiritual life is like struggling, but that the struggle has shifted from into a different area, because now it's like if you've ever served in a church or pastored in a church and then you're not, it's like a weird, you know, it, I'm having to accept, I think, that a lot of the Christian life is just ordinary faithfulness of getting my family to church on Sunday, you know, and um, talking with my boys when they have questions, you know. And it's weird because our culture pushes young men, I think, you know, it's like, hey, you have a long beard and you wear flannel, you should be a pastor, you know. Like, you're interested in theology, you should be a pastor, you know. And, <laughs> and it, uh, not that that's, I mean, that's great that a lot of people want to do that, but I think we de-emphasize that, you know, it, it, we, we want the excitement of, like, planting a new church and getting hundreds of people to come, and, and that's great, you know, but so much of the Christian life is just remaining faithful to the gospel and remaining faithful to the family that God's given you, you know. So, do you think this move from San Diego 
up to this area, Rancho and Ontario, Inland Empire, it allowed you to be there more for your kids? Has it allowed you to be around them more? Yeah, that's been one of the, and that's its own struggle, you know, because if you're working, I work at home most of the time, and <laughs> if you're working at home, it's like you're with your family more, but are you really there, you know, and how do you say, okay, I'm done working now, and now I'm here, you know? Yeah. Because I'll write articles all day with my three-year-old on my lap, and that's great, but it's like, how much am I really there, you know? Where's my mind? You know, is it somewhere else? And also going from a job I hated to a job I love, it has kind of uh, made that problem worse because it's like... Because you want to do it more. I want to do it. And before, I hated my job, but at five o'clock, I was done, you know, and I unplugged and I turned off my phone and I didn't talk to anybody about my job. And I tried to get my job out of, off my mind, you know, as much as possible. And now it's like, I want to think about, you know, what am I working on? What am I writing right now? What am I, you know? So that struggle has been, I think, more pronounced working from home and working on a job that I love, you know. But overall, it has been a, a net positive, I think, because, yeah, before I was sometimes working late, you know, I would get up when it was dark and I would get home when it was dark and, you know, how much of your family are you even seeing at that point, you know? So that was a tough season, but I think now just being able to see my family more. And I think also it's a perspective that I have to count the blessings of, like, again, those stresses of, like, oh, I haven't told a funny joke today. I'm a failure, you know, mm-hmm. versus going, hey, yeah, this is, my life is very, very good, you know? <laughs> how do you handle those creative blocks? Mm. The creativity is weird because uh, Stephen King talks about creativity as, like, uh, you're sitting there, and he, he calls them like the workers in your basement. And he says, you're just sitting there, and these you send these workers down to your basement, which is your all the things you know and all the pop culture references you have and all the words you know, or whatever. And then they come back up, you know, with two boxes and say, here you go, you know, and two ideas married together. And it's like, you know, I don't know whatever I'm telling a joke about today. You know, it's like Donald Trump and Christmas trees. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, and you just go back and get something else. And they come back with it. You know, so you can't force it, right? You yeah. can't You yeah. can't force it. So I think trying to do it is worse than just sitting there and waiting for the workers to bring you something good. <laughs> do you do anything particular to kind of unplug or, like, go out for walks or... I'll do runs. I'll go out for runs. I'll go work somewhere else. I don't know if it helps that much. Like, I, I think... I think I, my brain has been trained, like when I'm sitting at my work computer and I got my headphones on and I'm staring, that's when I'm most creative, I think. What are you listening to when, when you got the headphones on? Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm a 90s Christian kid, so <laughs> I listen to like uh, Five Iron Frenzy, Ska Band, MXPX, the old, uh, used to be Christian punk band, stuff like that, Switchfoot, it was a, a muse of mine. Yeah. So stuff like that, I don't know. Heavy metal. I love heavy metal. What kinds? Uh, Iron Maiden, Megadeth, Black Sabbath. This isn't going public, right? This isn't going on the show. Yeah, no, I, I have tons of heavy metal records I love. and, and uh, So that kind of stuff. It just I think when I know that some people can't write with music, with uh, yeah, lyrics. Yeah, lyrics. Right? I'm that way, where, where I'll listen to either Brain FM, which is a... Mm-hmm. Just uh, it uses binaural beats to help get your brain into a huh. focused state or to a relaxed state. Um, I use it for sleep. My sleep is increased by about an average of three to five percent, 
or listen to maybe like a Spotify focus playlist or a classical playlist. I'm one that my brain just, I, I can't listen to lyrics. Yeah, no, I, if I know the record well enough, it's like a, it's background noise anyway because I know, yeah. I know it, you know, it's yeah. not, I'm not listening to the words really. I'm always fascinated with the different ways in which creatives create and the different environments that they put around them because I worked for Dr. Dobson for 15 years and when he was writing, he used to, he would have the TV on blaring right next to him. And I'm like, one, the visual would distract me. And two, what they're saying would distract me. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King also, he wrote about the myth of the writer going to the middle of the woods and getting inspired, you know, and like you sit in the cabin and yeah. it's like, I got writer's block, so I'm going to go, and, I'm going to go to a cabin in the woods for a month. And he's like, now you're in the middle of the woods with no ideas. You know, you have the same no ideas that you had at home. And I think there is, there is something where I think the pressures and the stress of me sitting there going, I need to have an article up in a half hour and I don't have any ideas. Like that drives me to come up really? with Really? No you guys ideas. have that, yeah. those kinds of deadlines? Well, not really deadlines. It's just my personal. That's what it, I put too much stress on myself because I go, I need to have an article up. Yeah. You know, and it's just like Seth, when he bought the bee, he gave us no editorial restrictions, no deadlines, no guidelines whatsoever. It's just evolved into what it is. Yeah. So I try to write about six articles a day. We put them up around, you know, basically every hour for a few hours, six hours or whatever in the middle of the day. Throw up a few reposts and that's the day, you know. And so that's just kind of what it's turned into. That seems to be the optimal. That gives us a good mix of Christian jokes, political jokes, you know, everyday life jokes. And it seems to be about right. I think more than that, we might be trying too hard to get an idea. Uh, less than that, it doesn't feel right to me. It's like I have to get, if I get less than that up in a day, I'm like, I'm, I'm twitching. I got to get an idea. It's just, it's just how it is. Kyle Mann, Editor-in-Chief of the Babylon Bee, let's get to rapid-fire questions. Hey everyone, before we get to Kyle's rapid-fire segment, I just want to say, if you love the Babylon Bee, please consider becoming a subscriber. After my interview with Ethan Nicole in October, I did, and I feel a great sense of pride in supporting an organization that brings me so much joy and laughter in my Facebook feed. You can go to babylonbee.com slash plans. That's babylonbee.com slash plans. And if you love what Holy Smokes is doing, please consider a year-end tax-deductible donation. paypal.me slash holysmokesclub. The link is in the show notes. paypal.me slash holysmokesclub. Rapid fire! Fire. Here. Cigars or pipe? Cigars. First cigar experience. When did you start to get into it? Right after we got married, about six months after we got married, 2007. We, me and a buddy, hey, we should smoke a cigar. You know, <laughs> got sick. That whole thing. What brought you back then? If you got sick, it was the community. You know, it was not not really. I didn't join any cigar clubs or anything, but being able to hang out and play poker and there's something cool about just being there and not having to. You know, everywhere you go you're expected to buy something or you're expected to do something or, you know, to just, you know, I'm just sitting here. There's something cool about that. Favorite drink, liquid pairing with your cigar? West Coast IPA, maybe something with a little fruit in it, grapefruit sculpin, something like that. Best dollar for dollar smoke? Smoke? Yeah. Uh, something from Romeo y Julieta or, or this Brick House. Your splurge cigar. 
<laughs> you, you, something big just happened. I don't know enough about cigars, so I would probably, you know, I'd be the guy that goes in and says, give me your best cigar, sir. <laughs> you know. Your go-to place to get smokes. Here, Culebra. Culebra Cigar Company in Ontario, California, right mm-hmm. across the street from the mall. Ontario Mills. I love this place. This is such a great location. Just It's the best environment. It's got nice chairs. It's just... We also would go a lot to uh, Pacific uh, Wine Merchants in Upland, California. That's an outdoor patio, which is a little different of a vibe. And there's also yeah. a giant train that goes by it. So that wasn't great for working, but... Calabria usually. I, my friend Matt uh, co-owns the place, and it's a great place. Most memorable cigar experience? I guess probably in that first year or two when we were doing it a lot. That whole time was just fun because we were new. Me and my wife were newly married, and we had a few newly married friends. And it was a whole experience of going, I am my own person, and, you know, I am an adult now. <laughs> and... Uh, I have, you know, we're living in an 800 square foot apartment, but I have this little patio area. This is mine, you know. So that all that whole year of experiences is all very nostalgic for me. Marvel or DC? Probably DC, though I do like Marvel. DC's um, DC has Batman, and you can, no no Marvel character comes anywhere close to Batman. DC's struggled a little bit on the movies, but I don't think they're as bad as people seem to think they are. Yeah. People want DC movies to be Marvel movies. Why would you want that? There are already Marvel movies. Yeah. You know. So I think Ben Affleck as Batman was great. I thought Justice League was pretty good. I liked Batman versus Superman, despite the weird editing decisions. And uh, uh, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy was good. I didn't like the middle film as much as everybody else does, but Batman. I got a lot of Batman comics. I love Batman. So. Star Wars or Star Trek. Star Wars. Um, Disney's obviously stumbled a lot with their handling of the franchise and uh, the prequels I can't stand. but Which, by the way, you and I were talking before we recorded. I I said one of the best articles that you guys have put out, you just put out like earlier this week, I think, it was that Disney puts the Mandalorian is trying to keep Baby Yoda from Ryan Johnson, who's going to screw it up. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the greatest villain in The Mandalorian so far, really. <laughs> I didn't hate Last Jedi as much as everybody else did. I, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I think it's a very well-made movie that just had some very bad story beats that undermined a lot of things in the franchise. So, Dogs, cats, neither, both? We have cats. We're not dog people. I don't really care for either, but... My wife is turning our home into a cat sanctuary. <laughs> Nickname growing up or in college? I always tried to get my, my middle initial in C, so I wanted people to call me KC. Never worked. So I didn't really, I didn't really have any nicknames. KC. What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? Well, we'll talk a little bit about the, uh, the heavy metal thing we were talking about earlier. I was a huge metal head for a good decade and uh, after I got married I had never listened to heavy metal or I only listened to Christian music basically Yeah. and my wife was like a Metallica fan and she shows me some Metallica and I'm like wow you know I was such a huge metal head I, I own hundreds of heavy metal vinyls and I went and saw um, Ronnie James Dio with Black Sabbath or they, they were called Heaven and Hell at the time but with the Black Sabbath crew 
I saw him twice. I won radio contests. I called into the local radio station and yeah. I won backstage passes to Ronnie Dan James Dio twice. So I and I got to go to see Black Sabbath's rehearsal, and it was just me and like 50 other people in this intimate little room with Black Sabbath playing. Uh, and that was like eight months before Ronnie James Dio passed away of stomach cancer. And so I got I have his autograph on all the uh, on you know, my Black Sabbath records, and uh, it was an incredible incredible thing. Favorite book not titled The Holy Bible? <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. What's the best type of cheese? I love going to, there, if, if you drive up California, there's a bunch of dairies. Uh, up, I think it's up the 99. It might be up the 5, but I think it's up the 99. There's like several dairies as you go up. And I love stopping there and we just get like the sampler. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the names are, but... We feel very cultured, like we're getting it. It's probably just mass market cheese. But. If you were arrested with no explanation, what would your family and friends think you had done? <laughs> oh, man. I assume that the, my wife is always saying that I'm going to get nailed for like making fun of Hillary Clinton, you know, and that she'll send her people after me. So. <laughs> I think they would assume that I got on the wrong side of the deep state. <laughs> All right, last two. If you were to have a holy smoke with any three people throughout history, who would they be, living or deceased? Can't name Jesus. I would probably go with J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, just picking his brain on story and Middle Earth would be incredible. Yeah. So J.R.R. Tolkien for sure. Maybe Spurgeon. I've devoured a lot of Spurgeon, and uh, we were doing some sermons on the Psalms, and his commentaries on the Psalms are still some of the best. And I'd love to, I'd love to chat with him. Um, he had some really cool views on war and politics that I think get downplayed because people just look at his theology stuff. So I would love to chat with him about that kind of stuff. And then maybe something off the wall. I'd, I'd talk with somebody like. Um, H.P. Lovecraft, possibly. Who's that? He wrote The Call of Cthulhu and The Mountains of Madness. And uh, he wrote all these horror novels in the 20s. Okay. And he was, he's basically the father of modern horror. And uh, he was very disturbed and very nihilistic. And he was a hardcore atheist. And all the horror from his work comes because he believed that uh, the universe had nothing to offer and that mankind was hopeless. And so... A lot of modern horror still goes back, draws from him because he basically said humanity is a speck floating on a disc. And the hor his whole thing was, if you could see how meaningless your existence was, you would kill yourself. Like, and that was the horror of all his works was yeah. people would like, it was always personified in like monsters, but people would look back at this monster and he would never describe the monster. He would just have a black shape or something. Or someone would look back and then they would go insane. And that was like his... But he was very disturbed, and I would love to kind of pick his brain on, you know, he was depressed his whole life, he was penniless, you know, he was selling his stories to little sci-fi mags, and that, and now he's like super famous, like every horror writer owes yeah. a huge debt to him, and I'd love to just chat with him. How'd you get into that? I, I don't really know, but actually I had a friend that was a pastor at a previous church in, down in San Diego, and uh, he used to play an RPG, a tabletop, like Dungeons & Dragons style game called Call of Cthulhu. And it was based on H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft. And he yeah. says, hey, have you ever read Lovecraft? I'm like, no. 
So I started downloading his short stories and reading them, and you know now I've got the whole collection. And, That's uh, awesome that a pastor was the one to, that, that yeah, introduced yeah, you to it. Yeah, yeah, really interesting guy. You know, he actually showed me all his from the 1980s. He's got hundreds of painted miniatures of all the H.P. Lovecraft monsters and stuff. And I was yeah. like, like, where did this? He was like a doctor of archaeology of the Old Testament, and but. But he had H.P. Lovecraft figures, so that's where that came from. I don't know. All right, last question. If we were meeting one year from today and I got a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating? Google buying the Babylon Bee for $1 billion. No, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm mostly kidding, but yeah, I would love to see the Babylon Bee just go to that next level where you know, we've either doubled or tripled our subscriber base and something where, because we're at this strange transition right now where it's a business in a garage, and now it's a real thing. Now we have infrastructure, now we have support, now we have a CEO and, you know, all this stuff. And so I'd love to be able to point at us and say this is now like a thriving thing, you know. And it is thriving, but I'd love to see it go to that next level. So if I had to say something concrete, I'd say a double our subscriber base would be awesome. All right, Holy Smokers. You heard me say, I am a subscriber and a proud subscriber of what these guys are doing. I freaking love them, and I especially love the fact that you and Ethan are cigar guys. <laughs> and so just go to the website, babylonb.com, and it's what, subscribe, slash subscribe? Uh, slash, slash, I think it's plans. Plans? Yeah. BabylonB.com slash plans and there you can uh, take a look at the various ways in which you can support. You can support monthly, you can support yearly, which is what I did and uh, get a freaking awesome mug if you pick, do the $100 a year plan. Babylon B logo on the, on the other side is this fake news you can trust. It's up in my office. It's one of those mugs I'm very proud of having and uh, let's see these guys go to this next level because you guys also have a legal battle going with Snopes right now, right? It's quieted down a bit, but yeah, we did have legal back and forth with them because we wrote an article that was, we had said that Georgia lawmaker who had said that the guy told her to go back to her country, Yeah. And but she had made up the whole thing or whatever. We said that she went to Chick-fil-A and they, they said, my pleasure. And she's like, what do you mean? Go back to my country? And Snopes fact-checked it and basically labeled us fake news, labeled us junk news, said we're trying to deceive people and so the real concern was that other was that social networks would label us that fake news which Snopes has done and Facebook has done in the past so they eventually kind of backed off that after they started to lose that internet war but <laughs> and we got a lot of subscribers and support out of it so you know what Snopes intended for evil well I mean what there's a real concern on the part of legitimate fake news sites claiming that they're satire but not really labeling it's, themselves as much. I mean, I see friends share these most outlandish articles that they think are true, yeah. whereas you guys at the B are very open about, hey, this is, this is we're just doing this to poke fun at people. Yeah, and Facebook kind of washed their hands of it and said, oh, well, we can't tell. We can't tell the difference between those fake news sites and the real satire sites, so we'll just label you all they call it labeled satire, which is weird. It's, there's a huge difference between the sites that make up a story to generate outrage and get clicks, and then us, who clearly tells a joke and makes a point with our pieces. So, holy smokes, let's get out there, 
let's help them to double their subscriber base and uh, take the B to the next level. So that way, when you guys have that planning meeting tomorrow, yeah. you guys can uh, start to figure out what and have the resources to be able to go into those next areas that you want to go. So, Kyle Mann, editor in chief of the Babylon Bee. Thanks for being on the Holy Smokes yeah, podcast, thanks brother. For having me. Welcome to the Holy Smokes yeah, community. Right. The family. Put me in that private group, man. <laughs>